Good morning. God is worthy of our praise this morning and we're going to hear, I think he has a special word for us from the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You may be seated. You guys remember in the old days when people would come knocking on the door? <laughs> now, nowadays uh, with cell phones, it's easy to send a message and so you kind of know when people are going to arrive. But it used to be you'd get a knock. And uh, there was a time in my life, uh, probably junior high age, somewhere in there, where I, I had a lot of fear and shyness. And, and when the knock would come, I would go run and hide. <laughs> I would go run and hide. So all of us, I believe, have worry knocking on our doors. Worry is common to all of us. I, I've lived uh, almost 40 years and everyone I've ever talked to, ever known, and I look at my own life has battled or struggled with some kind of worry, some kind of fear. So we, we know it's going to come knocking, but the question is, what do we do? And Jesus says, don't worry. <laughs> okay, Jesus, <laughs> thank you. Life is hard. It's a struggle. I bet if we went around this room and we talked about the circumstances that you're in now or circumstances you've been through, maybe lost jobs, maybe changes in pay, maybe there's a relationship that was broken, maybe there's a disease, a sickness, that's coming and knocking on your door. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, I'm thankful that Jesus says more than just don't worry. <laughs> I think he has our hearts and minds as he shares with us this passage. Now, I want to look back because when we started this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had a whole list of blessings that he is bringing to our lives and bringing to our world. But he had a warning too. He said, persecution is coming. Expect persecution. And we talked about persecution being external, meaning there might be attacks from the outside. But I believe in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is also talking about the spiritual battle, the internal battle in our hearts. In fact, the passage right before the Sermon on the Mount, we're told the story of Jesus going into the wilderness and who... Who pursues Jesus into the wilderness? Satan. And he's bringing temptation. And remember, Jesus is in the wilderness. It's a hard 
hard place. And life can be that way. Life can be hard and there can be attacks and there can be struggle. But here's what I think Jesus wants to remind us of this morning, that God is the author of love and perfect love drives out fear. And Jesus wants to remind us who our Father is, who our God is. And uh, if we think back to the prayer that Jesus taught us, what did he teach us to pray? He says, pray to our Father that his name might be treasured above all else. Hallowed be your name. And that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done in heaven as in earth. And that we are to ask him for our daily bread. And we're asking him for our forgiveness and to forgive those who've harmed us, who've trespassed against us. But he also taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I think that's what Jesus wants to do in this passage. He wants to deliver us from the evil one who wants to enslave us to fear, enslave us to anxiety, enslave us to worry. But our God is greater. He is stronger. And he brings the victory to our lives. Amen? All right. So Jesus says, don't worry. But he talks, I think, about two levels. One is on the head level, logic level. And then he also t speaks to our heart level. And both are important. And the logic that Jesus brings is, you know what? If you think about it, how much does worry actually help? <laughs> right? If you think about all the time you've been spent worrying about things, how much did it actually solve the problem? And, and Jesus says it real simply. He says, does it add any time to your life? <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, medically it's been proven to take time away from your life, right? So, so logically, worry doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. And so we can hear that logically, but that's not enough. Jesus also addresses the, the heart issue, which is, is really about trust. Who do we trust? Who have we put our, our trust in? There's a couple stories in, in Scripture that I think are, are really important. They're foundational stories, and, and they really explain uh, the whole story of God and who He is and what He's doing in the world and what He's doing in our lives right now today. But the one of the foundational stories is the Exodus story in the Old Testament. If you haven't gone back, uh, I encourage you to go back and read in Exodus and Deuteronomy this amazing move of God in history, in human history, where the Jewish people were enslaved, literally, uh, by the Egyptians, and they were, um, they didn't have any rights, they didn't have any uh, privileges, they were just laborers, slaved away, making bricks and stone for, for the pharaohs. And, and God raised up a deliverer, Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And uh, God did some amazing miracles. He sent plagues. He reminded Pharaoh of his power in comparison to the powers of, of the Egyptian gods. And the people of Israel were freed from Egypt. And I love what Hannah shared this morning that you would think, okay, God's going to take his, his people that he, he loved. And in fact, if you remember in the story, it says God did not choose them because they were better or more important than any other people. He said he chose them because of who he was and that he chose them and treasured them because of his love. Isn't that a picture of grace? <laughs> and God chooses us in the same way, but he, he didn't take them directly to the promised land. And much of the Old Testament is written about this in-between time in the wilderness, in the wilderness. And so God led his people into the wilderness. 
Isn't it interesting that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God before he gave the Sermon on the Mount? I believe there's circumstances in your life that God has led you into that are painful, that are hard, that are difficult. And the wilderness is not a fun place to be, but the story of the Bible is built on this foundation that God is faithful, that he is good and he's provider. Because in the wilderness, you don't have provision. There's need for water and food. The other uh, week I was in the Badlands with my my family and we were walking around and you could see why this would be a hard place to survive. (laughs) And the early settlers who tried, many of them failed, right? Because the land did not produce. And so um, the wilderness is a harsh, difficult place. And that speaks to the reality of many of our circumstances and experiences in life. But what did God do with the people of Israel? He made a way and he was with them by a cloud, but through fire and with his presence. What did he do? He provided bread every day. He provided water. He made it so their shoes didn't wear out and they had clothes every day that didn't wear out. What does that teach us about God and who he is and what he's doing? And the people of Israel became a story, a picture of the gospel. And Jesus came to take us to the promised land to fulfill the promise of God to not only provide a physical land but an eternal land where there would be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. And Jesus accomplished it through the wilderness of the cross. And so Jesus went to the cross, the place of ultimate suffering and shame and death. And he defeated those things on the cross. And he rose again on the third day to bring eternal life, to bring blessing, to bring hope to our world and our circumstances and our reality. And so the story of the gospel is an exodus story from slavery to freedom, from from death to life, from darkness to light. And so this passage is getting to the very core of what God wants to transform in our hearts. Because earlier Jesus talked about money and treasure of what is ultimate worth. And we got to grapple with that question. If you haven't reflected deeply on that question, uh, God is... God's knocking on your door, inviting you to think about that. What is of ultimate worth in your life? Because that is the most important question for us as human beings. And Jesus loves us too much to let us think that the greatest treasure is our possessions or money or material things. Because he warns us, he says, you know what, those things, if you put your heart and your trust in those things, they won't last it can be stolen, it can be destroyed, it can disappear. So don't, don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in, in treasure that will last forever, which we talked about last week, is God himself, that he is the ultimate treasure and that people are eternal beings and that people have infinite worth. And so Jesus invites us to treasure what will ultimately last, which is a relationship with him and our relationships with each other. And so that that's a framework for, for living and ultimate meaning and ultimate worth that changes how we live, changes who we are. And that is what God ultimately cares about is our hearts. He ultimately cares about our hearts. And so he deals with the things of life like money and possessions. But what he really cares about is who you are and your heart. And so why do we have these stories of God's taking his people through the wilderness 
and being their provider, being their sustainer. If you remember, as Jesus is in the wilderness, Satan comes to attack him and he's hungry because he hasn't eaten (laughs) for a long time. And what does Satan say? Turn these stones into bread. And what does Jesus say? He goes back to the wilderness experience of the Jewish people and God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from God. And so that is the issue that Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount in this passage. He's addressing of what is of ultimate worth and what is life consist of. And Jesus says life is more than food and the body more than clothes. He, he's given us a different perspective because we can be so driven as human beings by our, our physical needs and we have real physical needs and Jesus doesn't deny that we have real physical needs. Um, God knows that. He created us. He made us the way we are. <laughs> and so we have to understand what order do those things take? What place do they have in our lives? Because if those things become ultimate things, then the result is our own um, destruction and our own despair, our own anxiety, our own worry. And so God has a new way for us to think about this because the kingdom of God is present. The presence of God is with us. And so he's teaching us, he's showing us a new way, a different way to live where we're no longer enslaved by the circumstances or the things that we have or don't have but we have this eternal perspective. I love what Bob Pierce says. He says, little is much with God. Little is much with God. <laughs> it's a perspective changer. And so what, is the, what does life consist of? And we have to think about that because we get so caught up in the rat race of having and pursuing and striving and achieving and earning and performing because this world is driven by those principles. And so it's always have more and do more and make more. But Jesus took his disciples away from the the rush and the hustle and the bustle of the world. I got the privilege to go to Israel and this place where Jesus gave this sermon is a remote, beautiful spot on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And I was there in the spring. I don't know the time of year when Jesus gave this sermon, but when I was there at this spot, the fields were covered with flowers, much like the Black Hills are right now. And the birds were singing, and there was peace and tranquility with the mountains surrounding the gleaming lake of the Sea of Galilee. And so, in a sense, Jesus purposefully drew his disciples away to that place. And what does he do here in the sermon? He He turns our attention towards other things. He says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers and the fields. Why would Jesus do that? Why does he ask us to to turn our gaze towards those things? I think it's a perspective changer. Because when you're in the middle of the circumstances, when you're in the middle of life and all that it brings, you get caught up. And you lose perspective. And so Jesus wants to help us gain a new perspective. The perspective of God. To see who God is and what he does and what he can do. I think it's interesting that Jesus often got away into the wilderness. He often went up into the mountains, into the hills. He often went away to pray 
and to spend time with his father. When was the last time you, you got away <laughs> to spend time with the father, to pray, to gain perspective? You see, I think there's an invitation here to, to draw away from, from the, 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 the control of life in our own strength and begin to, to see how God sees things. And so when we look at creation, we gain a, a different perspective. We see the glory of God. We see the greatness of God. And we see the provision of God. Now, it's interesting that the examples Jesus gives aren't grand things. <laughs> he doesn't say, look at the, the solar system. <laughs> he doesn't say, look at the ecosystem of the lake. These are grand things. He looks at the simple, small things like a little bird, a little sparrow, like a little flower that is here today and gone tomorrow. And so what he's saying is what seems so insignificant, what seems so small in God's kingdom and his perspective has incredible worth and is worth pouring in great beauty into. And so he's saying if God cares about those things, how much more would he not care about you? You see, from God's perspective, the, the highest creation, the most beautiful, worthy creation that God ever made is man and woman. He made us in his image with infinite worth of infinite value. And Satan will do everything he can to chip away at that, to destroy that understanding, that truth from our hearts and our lives. And so Satan comes with worry and anxiety and thoughts of like, I don't matter or I'm forgotten. But Jesus gives us a new perspective, a new understanding when we get away and we look around us and we see the power of God, the glory of God, the beauty of God, the care of God in creation. And we begin to understand his care for us. There's a powerful verse in 1 Peter that says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Well, I think we often miss the first part of that verse that says, God opposes the proud but shows grace to the humble. And this is what Peter says. He says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And then he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You see, the whole Sermon on the Mount is a comparison between two ways. There's the way of pride that's all about earning and performance and self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. And then there's the way of Jesus and his kingdom that invites us to humility and the way of surrender and of God's righteousness, God's power, God's grace, God's work in our lives. You see, that's the great choice that Jesus is giving us in the Sermon on the Mount. Either we will see the blessing and the worth that God brings and we will live our lives in, in, in the presence and the power of God and his blessing and his provision and his love in our lives or we will be self-sufficient, self-righteous, self-sustaining and it's all about us. And remember the comparison is between being noticed and being known and Jesus invites us to be known, to have a relationship with the Father, to be known by others, to know others, to love others. And so there's this great divide. And the invitation is to humble ourselves, to receive, to surrender our lives 
to God's rule, his reign, his kingdom, his action, his will in our lives. And when we do that, we experience trust. We experience the care and the love of the Father in our lives. And so Jesus says, is not life more than your physical needs? Is it not more than food and clothes? And the question that we have to understand is where does our ultimate worth and value come from? <laughs> because if you're looking for it in how much money you have or what kind of job you have or, or where you live, or any of those things can change. Any of those things can be taken away. And so this is about identity. This is about who we are. I remember when my sons were born, the joy of seeing them come into the world. But part of that joy is as a father and as a mother, as, as, as my wife and I, we gave them a name. We gave them a name. We gave them a family, something to be part of in this world. And that's what Jesus is inviting us, not to make our own way, to create our own name, because that only results in anxiety and worry. Because either we will worship ourselves or we will understand who God is. And if we understand that he has given us a new birth, a new life, a new identity, that's what baptism is all about, where we come and we receive Jesus and we're baptized in his name. We receive his name. We receive his identity of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're given a new life, a new way of living. And this identity becomes the value and of the place from which we can live. <laughs> we can truly live. We can navigate the complexity and the hard things of this life, of this world, with certainty, with security, with trust, because we know who our Father is. And He's given us a name. He's given us an identity. And He cares for us. Jesus says the pagans run a different course, a different way. They chase after the possessions, the treasures, the things of this world. They run after that. And is that not true as we look around us? <laughs> Everyone's doing more and more to make a name for themselves. Everyone's doing more and more to gain more possessions, to have more. But Jesus recognizes there is some benefit to that. There is a, a reward for that. But it's temporary. It's shallow. It doesn't last because things can be stolen, things can burn down, things can be destroyed, things can be lost. And so he says, the pagans run after those things, but not us. Not, not his people. Because we know who our father is. What does he say? He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I love what he says right before that. Because the father knows your need. <laughs> The Father knows you. He knows your need and he's good and he's your provider. He's your maker and he's big enough, powerful enough to provide what you need. So he says, instead of, instead of running after these things, he says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. So this isn't an invitation to a passive life. Um, sometimes people have read this passage and they've said, you know what? then why do I go to work? Why do I do anything? <laughs> why do I, why do, I uh, do all the things that I do? And so the Bible, I don't think Jesus is saying we don't take responsibility. In fact, Paul later says, if you don't work, you don't eat. And so he's not taking away our responsibility. There's human responsibility. There's human agency. There's human decision here and initiative and seeking and desire. But 
the issue here is what are we responsible for and what are we trying to make in our own? Because we're not God. <laughs> we're finite. And so if you think about the things you worry about, very, very, uh, very seldom are the things that we worry about things that we can do anything about, right? <laughs> Sometimes God convi- brings conviction and there's things that we need to do. But the reality is what Jesus is talking about is really worship. Who do we ultimately trust? Who is God? Is it ourselves trying to make it on our own or are we willing to trust him, to seek him, to depend on him? And so the intentionality of our lives becomes his kingdom and his righteousness. And this is, this is the foundation for the Christian life. And, and we, we don't have time this morning to explore all that this means, but, but I do know what it, the start of it is, an awakening to the beauty and the worth and the treasure of God overall. We understand that he's our father and we understand his love for us and our love for him ignites something in us, a fire or a desire that orders all of life. It orders everything else in our lives. And so worship becomes the practice of our life. I think in my own life of this reality, because I told you earlier that when people would come knocking, I'd run and hide. (laughs) And I think about what Jesus has done in my own life, the slavery of that fear in my life and how God brought about a transformation so that I was no longer afraid of what people thought of me or, or, or running and hiding. Rather, God did a work in my life so that I was going and I was knocking on people's doors because I wanted to share the treasure of Jesus with them. And so there was an incredible change in my heart and my life and a new orientation for how I lived. And that came about because of the grace and the power of God. And so when worry comes knocking on your door, the power of Jesus is available to transform fear and anxiety towards a love and a passion for the things of God. Because when we understand the source of blessing, we become a blessing. And so instead of my life being marked by cowering and fear, God did an amazing work where he brought about the ability to love others and to share his blessing with others. And I'm not perfect. (laughs) I'm still a work in progress. And we all are. But this is what Jesus is talking about. His grace is sufficient. It's available for us to be transformed so that our lives are marked by something different something new that God is doing in us that he is doing in the world and when we live this way we're free we're free from worry we're free from trust I'm going to invite Hannah to come up and here's my practical invitation to you this morning as you go through the week when was the last time you paused or got away to hear the voice of the father to hear his love, his care for you, his ability to provide for you, his ability to break the chains of whatever circumstance or slavery you might be facing, any wilderness that you're going through. The power of God is available and we can rest, we can trust in him. I love the verse that says, perfect love drives out fear. And because of this, we can seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Would you sing with us in closing?